listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 227. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Buckman. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son, guys! How's life? Hello! Not bad, not bad. So I I have some news. Oh, okay. Fire away. I was in uh, my first ever motorbike accident uh, five days ago. Wow. And um, some fucker ran into the back of my bike. With a car? Assuming he didn't. Motorbike. Yeah, but you were on a motorbike, but but he was on a car. He was on a car, yeah. yeah. So that kind of caused me to propel out of my seat and so the bike went one way and I went the other way. Because as you know, on the motorbike, you're not secured. You just, you know, yeah, yeah. exposed. So did, you, did you get injured? I I kind of landed on my back and I'm, you know, I've got a few bruises and I'm kind of recovering from minor scratches and stuff like that. But I'm fine. And uh, he took off. It was hit and run. Really? He, um, fucker. He had apparently... What a fucker. So um, there was a lady who stopped and she called 911 and stuff. But by the time the police arrived, he was nowhere to be found. He just made sure that I didn't die and um, fucked off. So whilst I was with paramedics, the uh, the guys, the police guys, tracked the car because they, they could spot the video. Mm-hmm. Tracked the car so they, they knew who the car belongs to. Apparently, this, this car was not insured. This guy was driving his mother's car, no insurance. His driving license was suspended because of previous convictions. And he was on the run. So wow. there was a lot of, oh, a lot of wow. things going on. It kind of made sense why he, um, he disappeared. So he's now um, been hiding from the police. <laughs> do, do you get an update on, on the situation if, if uh, anything changes? Um, so I don't know. Uh, somebody told me that we might be like invited to the court or whatever, but uh, it's, <sighs> I, wow. we've got no idea. But yeah, it's you know one of those things. You, you never think it's going to happen to you, the hit and run, but <laughs> it just it just does. It's uh, it got, it's quite an interesting experience of American healthcare system as well. Like the paramedics made sure that I am not dying, and they're like, "Do you want to go to the hospital?" I'm like, oh, "Fuck yeah." I have been just hit by a car. Yeah. Of course, I want to go to the hospital. Yeah. What other options are there? Yeah. But if if people don't have insurance in America, they they opt out to not go because yeah. Uh, yeah. going to the hospital is thousands of dollars, like literal thousands of dollars. Mm. I, I don't know what the bill is going to be like because we've got pretty good insurance. Uh, but I can see how people would just say, no, nah, I think I'm going to quietly die at home. Thanks. Isn't that <laughs> madness? That's it is, yeah. Crazy. And also if you're like, not employed, so like your insurance is tied to your employer and depending on how good it or bad yeah, it is. But also yeah. if you're not employed and you don't have insurance, then that's all kind of all on you um, as well. And that so, could easily be thousands of dollars that we're talking about. Even tens of thousands of dollars if, yes. if it's a, if like it's a, I, a more I've, serious procedure that, that you yeah, have to go I've through. Yeah, I've heard that paramedics calls are like several thousand and then the visits <laughs> to the hospital... Uh, can be tenth like they've they've done some x-rays that could be tens of thousands of dollars hmm. you know uh like one x-ray might, might be like five grand i have no idea it's Ooh. it's one of those things so that was an interesting experience of my life wow glad you're okay yes thank very you very much yes. so and please be careful 
I mean, you do the the craziest things out there. You ride a motorbike. You go running a marathon, and ah, you just you just keep challenging life for these accidents or anything. I do. Take care, of your life. Yes. No, I will. Thank you. <laughs> oh, what about what about the situation with uh, with the protests in uh, Seattle? I'm I'm aware that they're going on. I haven't been participating. I know there is now this police free zone in the middle of the city center, but I yeah I've, I haven't been very active. Okay. The, there was a silent march on Friday. Thousands of people participated, mm-hmm. and then yeah, it's just kind of all developing slowly as as around the whole of the country, I guess. As more and more stuff coming out, because there's a lot more, like, there's now, basically, a huge magnifying glass is all over the police department, like, all departments, all police departments in America. So whenever the policeman does something, somebody's filming it, and somebody's posting it straight away, and there's retaliation straight away. So it's, um, yeah, it's developing. So we'll see. Mm. I I think there's protests around Europe as well, right? Yeah, yes. but it's different. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it, it's more like a support thing. In some countries, there are issues that uh, they try to address with that, and then now, now it's all mixed up with the uh, the demonstrations against uh, lockdown situations. And <laughs> so, I don't really know exactly which one is which uh, <laughs> at times. Probably they I don't just... know either. They they're just protesting, <laughs> and and they're all confused about what. <laughs> yeah, it's like the 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 stoning in the 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 life of Brian, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who cares what what the actual case is? We're just we're just here for the fun. Yeah, but we're we're also here for the fun. So, <laughs> anything else to discuss before we move on to the actual show? Don't think so. Great. Then, Yelena, I'd like you to to start the show with uh, the usual this week in skepticism. I've got a great name for you today. Jon Snow. <laughs> oh, nice. I nice. really like that. So for those who've been watching Game of Thrones, Jon Snow only means one thing and one thing only. Uh, the main character, of course. But actually, I- I'm not going to talk about him. I didn't realize it was it was interesting because of that. Sorry, I'm not. I have no idea about anything related to Game of Thrones. So sorry. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get the joke he, then. He's uh, huge. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Unfo- unfortunately, I couldn't quite tie Jon Snow to European skepticism and Game of Thrones yet. You know, so. <laughs> so you have to go with the other Jon Snow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I have to go with the other Jon Snow, who was who's actually died on 16th of June, 1858. Relatively young, forty-five. But anyways, that's not why I want to talk to him. Uh, talk about him. I want to talk about him because he was an English physician and he participated in the development of anesthesia, medical hygiene, which is what we want to kind of bring the attention to in this show. And I'll, I'll talk a bit more about this in a second. And he also is considered to be a father of modern epidemiology. So what was so remarkable about this particular English uh, scientist? So back in the day, back in 1800s, the commonly held theory of the way that disease was spreading was that it was caused by the bad air. And so that's how they, they at the time, thought a lot of the illnesses used to spread. And so happened uh, that the cholera was um, raging in England back then which of course is highly contagious and, and 
people die from it very easily, especially back, back then, because there was no good medications and stuff like that. But Jon Snow, good old Jon Snow, he actually came up with a different theory against the Lords, and he suggested that the disease transmitted by contaminated water. And what do you know? You know, for all the scientists, this is the best kind of, well, the best kind of scenario. I know it sounds terrible because the cholera is raging. And here he is. He's got an opportunity to prove his theory by testing it on the, in real life, and so, which, is, which is what he did. He ended up testing the, some of the uh, local water supplies in the area, discovering where contaminated water supply was, and removing this water supply from the community and therefore reducing the cholera spread and uh, contamination and disease. So here he was, you know, that's, that's like a perfect scientific experiment. Pretty horrendous, like, you know, this uh, situation you don't want to be in, but uh, he solved it. <laughs> so kudos to Jon Snow. And since then, of course, we now know that, of course, water is one of the biggest um, ways to spread any, anything, really, diseases and stuff like that. Also, it's got memory. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing so that... fine, Gillette. <laughs> I know. I, I have to throw a bone to our homeopathic listeners. Oh, hold on. <laughs> those are, those are... Don't do that. <laughs> And that was brilliant. I, that uh, that that was the 1854 Broad Street cholera outbreak that was called. And uh, the brilliance of his work was that he conducted interviews and he tried to triangulate where that exact uh, water supply was that caused all this trouble. And he found that there was this one well that people used around that area and that was contaminated and that had to be shut down and when it was shut down the cholera was slowly dying out and uh, it was brilliant and uh, even in uh, in popular culture mm-hmm. it made its rounds did you see the the series victoria not me no, it's, no. it's brilliant it's wonderful it's a lovely series uh, i watched it on hbo victoria is brilliant it's it's a lovely series and they dedicated one episode to this event and they screwed up the timeline <laughs> but but other than that it was it was really good and they even managed to put into the script that they met with Florence Nightingale so Jon Snow and Florence Nightingale knew each other and they're both they were both brilliant in applying math and applying a mathematical approach to dealing with disease and it's so amazing and i i love the fact that the creators of the series decided to dedicate an episode to them it's it was really cool so i do recommend it to everyone i wish there was a, a character called florence nightingale in game of thrones but <laughs> alas yeah so that's that, really. Thank you very much, Yelena. Okie dokie. That was a cool choice. I love that. But we are moving on, and uh, we need to find out what is there this week to poke the Pope for. Yeah, it's it's more of an update, really, about Francis. Uh, hasn't done anything really outrageous, uh, but uh, he's up to interesting uh, stuff anyway. So money continues to be a concern, apparently. And, and I'm surprised about this because we've heard about the enormous riches of the Catholic Church all the time. They're, they're supposed to be so rich that, in fact, they don't even know how much money they have. 
but um, <laughs> uh, but now he's very concerned with money, and perhaps this Jesuit, this poor man's pope, is more concerned about money than we all thought. Anyway, and and actually to his credit, his first financial transaction this week was, or last week, was to create a fund for the poor in Rome in response to the pandemic. So that was nice of him. People who have lost their income will be able to get uh, help. First, they will get help with making sure that they get all the benefits from the government that they are entitled to because it's complicated and people may not always know. And if uh, they don't get enough, then they will can get some uh, money from this new fund. But the interesting thing is not just that, but also the way he did it. The money will not come directly from the church. It will come from uh, something they call the Alliance of Rome, meaning a collaboration between the public institutions, third sector entities and private foundations in Rome. So that's very clever. Quite a businessman, uh, this Frankie. <laughs> we didn't know that. And he's setting it up also as in his capacity as the Bishop of Rome. He's not doing it as the Pope. And he wants other bishops to do the same thing all over the world, but he's not trying to implement something big, bureaucratic across the world. He's just setting an example and saying, look, this is what you can do as well. So he's not sending a lot of money directly. Not also in the US, there is now talk about 100 to 150 Catholic schools that will not be able to open in the fall due to financial issues. So, get me right, I'm I'm not really in favor of uh, religious schools. I think all schools should be secular. But I'm surprised to hear about lack of funds in the Catholic Church. So I'm speculating now. Um, so take it for, for what it is. It's just guesswork on my part. But maybe Francis has always been in favor of what he calls, uh, quote, a poor church for the poor, end quote, is taking this pandemic as an excuse to radically change the profile of the Catholic Church. He is, after all, the most radical pope we've had in modern times. That's just an observation on my part. We will see how it all develops. And of course... I need to mention, in other news, Cardinal Pell is still around. He went online last weekend to share how to cope with suffering, because now he has a lot of personal experience with suffering since he spent uh, some time in jail for a crime he says that he didn't commit. But uh, let's not talk too much about Pell. He doesn't need more attention. So uh, not a lot of poking of the the Pope this week, but uh, we need to keep track of what's happening. Because we we want him to know that we keep an eye on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and we don't know the, whether he does he does that uh, out of uh, concern for the position and the position of the church, or clear and and pure interest. He strikes me as a person who doesn't really care much about money, mm. but uh, I'm pretty sure that he is pushed from all directions to take care of the Vatican's money because it's um, yeah it's yeah and he has that... done a few things you remember I've talked about he, he reorganized some funds in Switzerland a couple of weeks ago and yeah. he's he's taking control over the church's funds in a way that I don't think uh, the recent popes have bothered to do at all mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. yeah all right thank you very much Pontus for yep. keeping an eye on the Pope <laughs> <laughs> And um, 
Yeah, uh, from time to time we have to keep an eye on the COVID-19 situation as well. So that's what's coming. All right, so we we really live in difficult times, I have to say. Uh, some economy experts say that um, the world has not seen such a deep economical crisis since the Great Depression. So we are seeing a, a build-up of tension throughout society because of that, especially in countries where there seem to be no new or even active cases left, and yet governments try to keep restrictions in place. Citizens complain about having to wear masks, and it is becoming obvious that people really don't want to accept inconveniences, at least not for an extended period of time, and especially not without a clear understanding of why it is necessary. And from that point of view, confusing government and expert messages are quite problematic. We in the international community of skeptics have been complaining a lot about misleading claims, lies and disinformation all over the media, but the importance of a clear message from our elected officials should not be underestimated. There is even some research that suggests we have a problem on that front. Researchers at the London School of Economics and Political Science have conducted a six-week-long diary study in the UK with a representative mix of 200 participants to find out how much misinformation they have been exposed to and how they have been able to deal with it. And it looks like most of the people were pretty successful in identifying false or misleading claims that they came, came across on the internet, but they experienced a large amount of confusion regarding the information provided by official sources. As a result, their faith in their government handling the, the COVID-19 situation has dropped significantly. And that is bad news. Mm. If we want to mitigate the effects on our, our societies, we need to be guided through the process by competent leaders. Now we see how badly we need scientifically trained minds in our parliaments that I keep banging on about. <laughs> uh, because all the government officials keep looking at is potential political gains. And they try to avoid at all costs the bad PR that a crisis brings about. Just a few examples. Experts suggested at the beginning the use of protective equipment, masks and regular hand washing. Then the hoarding of masks and hand sanitizers happened. And government officials tried to downplay their importance in everyday situations outside of healthcare environments so that we don't end up with healthcare workers not having access to PPEs. Well, in some countries we did, at least in the beginning, there was a shortage of, of, of things. Then the tides changed and wearing masks was became compulsory. <laughs> so as a result, people are still confused about masks, wearing masks. And you've probably heard about the latest madness from, from WHO. One day, a high-ranking official says asymptomatic transmission is very rare. A few days later, she takes it all back after having seen the outcry in the scientific community because there is substantial evidence that it indeed can easily be spread by people with no symptoms whatsoever. And based on recent findings published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, those asymptomatic infections could account for 45% of all cases, meaning mm. people could spread COVID-19 without even knowing they had it. And that was often mentioned at the beginning of the pandemic and was one of the reasons why the lockdown had to happen in such a large scale. But we do, really th do we really think that after such a line of self-controversial comments, there will be trust in the World Health Organization's competence? 
well, let's just say I doubt it. Yeah. And there's the Surgesphere fiasco as well, something we talked about last week and yeah. has been happening in front of the eyes of the public, so it didn't help either. And if there is one thing that we cannot afford to lose support for these days is science. We need government officials to lead where the science leads. We need to communicate what it means to be relatively certain about something, from a scientific point of view at least. We need to communicate what uncertainties there are and how the restrictions are necessary for risk management purposes. We have to rely on solid science and move forward, but we have to be able to explain what the findings of scientific inquiry are. So, what does science have to say about how successful COVID-19 physical distancing and other restrictions have been? Well, on the 8th of June, a paper was published in the journal Nature that tried to estimate the outcomes of these so-called non-pharmaceutical interventions across Europe. The researchers of Imperial College London's uh, MRC Centre for Global Infectious Disease Analysis Jamil Institute and the Department of Mathematics modeled the course of the pandemic in 11 European countries to estimate the effectiveness of measures taken by these countries in reducing transmission and the number of deaths. And while they caution that reporting is far from accurate, they worked with available numbers from countries like the UK, Spain, Italy, Germany and Belgium up until 4th of May. And the measures taken differ from country to country, but it looks like overall lockdown resulted in a drop in the reproduction number to below one. You know, we, we ex, um, explained it a couple of times how it's important for it to stay below one. And thus saved an estimated 3.1 million lives in Europe only. This is a rough estimate and people tend to question this and quite rightly so because it's really a vague estimate based on models and extrapolations of the original curves that uh, we saw happening. So if you consider how difficult it could have been for the healthcare systems of the, the countries of Europe to cope with an overwhelming number of patients, could it run its course uh, without any interventions? It puts everything to a wider perspective, and we see how this might not be very far off, this uh, 3.1 million lives uh, having been saved. Also, it look, looks like it's not only COVID-19, but also seasonal flu transmissions, at least on the Northern Hemisphere, that was significantly reduced as a result of the lockdown. And that is based on, on recent numbers as well. And that particular claim is based on another paper published in Nature at the end of May. Now, it's obvious that we won't be able to keep up the lockdown situation for long, I, I think we all agree on, uh, on that. But if we can learn how to reduce the number of infections based on all the personal hygiene recommendations that we took seriously with this one, we might be better off going forward, both with a possible second or third wave of COVID-19 and seasonal influenza coming next season. And we need contact tracing too, which will have to be discussed in the public because there are concerns regarding personal data and uh, uh, privacy issues. But most importantly, when the vaccine comes out, we need a large uptake. Some people even suggest a mandatory vaccination, but that could easily prove counterproductive at this point uh, with all the societal tension going on. Besides, 
No matter how Russia says they want to start vaccine production in September, which they did, more cautious estimates suggest it can easily take another six months at least to have a viable vaccine. So this is where we are now with COVID-19. So let's see what else is going on across Europe that might be of interest to skeptics. Once upon a long ago, back in the two, episode 215, so it's not that long ago, end of March, I believe, mm-hmm. I mentioned several Swedish quacks and others who were selling nonsense, pretending to prevent or help against COVID-19. One of them was a former TV host turned blogger and influencer. She's called Katrin Sytomierska, and uh, she has a company called Clean Eating, And uh, as I reported back then, she had started to sell small bottles of fish oil for 40 euro each to quote unquote boost the immune system. And clearly in the advertising, implying that it was the right product to take in view of the pandemic. And I said also at the time, uh, other brands of similar fish oil is just 10 euros. So she was really ripping people off. Okay. So... Update to this story now. What happened was that after that, the Swedish consumer agency deemed the advertising as being, quote, misleading and aggressive, end quote. Uh, From there, the case went to a special court for patents and marketing that is supposed to look at these things. And they, in turn, have now put a temporary restraining order on Sytomierska not to continue with this advertising. She is, however, still allowed to sell the bloody thing. And uh, the about page regarding this fish oil still mentions uh, a lot of other BS that I want to put your attention to. It's still the same price, though. Still 40 euro for a little bottle of fish oil. The web page says a lot that it contributes to normal function of the immune system. Wherever that helps, it contributes to normal function of everything, really. It's repeated seven times in six sentences describing the product. Hilariously, under the bold text, heart health, heart, it says, quote, contributes daily to normal brain function Mm. under the heart. Okay, so she has copy pasted this so many times. She has forgotten where to put it and uh, also contributes daily. What it's supposed to say, and it says on the others, is daily use contributes to. (laughs) Something doesn't contribute daily. So it's just word soup that she's copy-pasted in there. Anyway, I'm I'm a bit frustrated that it takes so long to stop this kind of nonsense. They're now saying you cannot continue with that advertising. And still she's more or less implying that you should do it. And she's making a fortune out of this fish oil. Yeah. Do you think that uh, it's based on the idea that if it's the about page and it's not a direct advertisement, then it's it doesn't count as advertisement? Or no, I or don't know. I, I might be the. I think I think I don't know. I don't have a screenshot of the original advertising, but I think she mentioned coronavirus in the first uh, version, a... and now she's taken that <clears throat> away and replaced it mistake. with it. Daily use contributes to, and then it contributes to all kinds of things. Uh, mm. normal muscles. It contributes to normal muscles, she said. Wow. Uh, what the hell? Doesn't mean anything. Contributes well, to I normal... Just... Listen to this. Contributes to normal development of eyes and brain in fetuses. Ooh. 
Okay, important so, stuff. Then. I, I had no idea that the eyes were built out of fish oil. Stupid. <laughs> fuck. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I, I I'd be very interested to see is whether she buys the fish oil at 10 euros and then sells it at 40, just rebranding, just just repackaging yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole thing, or it's not even fish oil that she sells. So <laughs> analytical investigations might be in order uh, with regards to that product. Yeah, I don't want to accuse her for, for selling anything else than that she's selling, because I don't know that. But I can tell that the, the advertising is fucking awful. Well, we've seen that. We've seen that happen. Here in Hungary, there is this guy who, who sells stuff and an analytical lab confirmed that uh, <laughs> it c- contained disinfectant of some sort. Wow. So, yeah, that's like, what the fuck? <laughs> May contain traces of the advertised product. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> A bit different kind of fakery there, there are countries in europe where ethnic clashes have been part of life for a long time unfortunately and uh, one of those is spain where up until a few years ago you probably remember basque nationalism was quite strong in northern spain mm. and the separatist movement became quite violent mostly as a result of the actions of terrorist groups like eta that killed hundreds of people between uh, 1968 and 2010 So when it comes to Basque culture and history, one has to tread lightly. Mm -hmm. However, a Spanish archaeologist by the name Eliseo Gil didn't really follow that advice. Back in 2006, he claimed he had found 3rd century pottery in northern Spain that really made the news worldwide. It was a celebrated find among Basque nationalists, of course. It showed the oldest representation of Christ on the cross... Mm-hmm. some ancient Egyptian symbols and their language, the Basque language, for which the oldest known written document was dated to a mere 600 years after that. So like 10th, uh, 9th, yeah. uh, 10th century. It all suggests, based on all this, or suggested that Basques were among the early Christians with a highly sophisticated culture in late Roman times. Hmm. Imagine that from a, a Basque nationalist point of view. Yeah. How big is that? But then in, in t- uh, 2008, an independent group of uh, experts revealed that it was all fake. Oh. The pottery was indeed from the 3rd century. It was dated to the 3rd century, but all the rest was carved and painted and not even with a lot of care. Some Roman inscriptions used letters that were not even present in the Roman alphabet. Sorry, so they like, on, <laughs> on the old uh, things they had put yeah. new marks. Yes, oh. yes, yes. So not only they, was it fake, they also ruined the old uh, original pottery. Yes, and it was a it, yeah, and it was a mixture of all the different things mm. that could that people could throw in. Uh, they even made up Egyptian gods. That could could not f- be found in any kind of reference. Not even uh, in Egypt. In, no. <laughs> well, the, you know they say about the, the, if you want to construct a good lie, you have to use a bit of truth, right? So yeah. the pot the pottery was true. Oh. Yeah, and and some people found it almost miraculous. This finds, but then the further analysis revealed that there was even some modern glue used uh, <laughs> on these potteries. 
So that that list goes on. So a lot of things, a lot of telltale signs that it was a fake. Mm -hmm. And a lot of money had been spent on the excavations. And and it was all for something that had been faked and planted there. So that that is ridiculous. At the beginning, it wasn't clear whose wrongdoing it it all was. And whether it was a case of fraud or just a, a practical joke if a very tasteless and expensive one at that, I have to add. One thing is for sure, Hill presented the artifacts himself back in 2006, so he obviously became a suspect. And last week, a court in Vitoria uh, ruled that Hill and his collaborator, Ruben Cerdan, are guilty of fraud and keeping false records. They had a third collaborator, Oscar Escrivano, as well, who admitted to the actions but claimed it was only a joke. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's it's not a good joke when you're playing with a nationalist uh, sentiment and you end up causing a lot of financial difficulty as well with, with all the money spent on the excavations. They were all sentenced to prison, actually. Hill, Ferdinand, and Escribano to 25, 15, and 6 months, respectively. But their sentences are all suspended due to not having any prior convictions. But both Hill and Ferdinand will have to pay a fine of 12,500 euros each to cover the expenses of the excavations that they cost. Mm. So it was a big deal for Basque nationalists, a big loss for archaeology as a science, a scientific field, and a well-deserved sentence for the frosters. I'm just, uh, I don't know. I don't know about the the, the prison sentence, but they yeah. that was suspended anyway. So, but yeah. I don't understand. Why did it take 12 years after they revealed this as I fake until the I, sentences were done? 12 years? Actually, I tried. I tried finding it out, but I couldn't find oh. any good reason why it would would take that long. But it d- apparently did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, in climate change news now... Mm-hmm. Th- there have been more um, alarming news on the climate change uh, front, despite what our people saying about coronavirus having potentially positive impact because we're all staying at home. But actually, it's not going to make that much of a difference unless we stop all production in the world, <laughs> which is not going to happen. Yeah, let's just stop. <laughs> no. But what is uh, happening, uh, some of the climate change models have been revised due to the clouds. <laughs> so as it turns out, some of the models uh, for climate change uh, didn't take uh, into the effect the clouds and, um, well, or the assumption was made that the clouds will have no effect. So they'll they'll be like neutral. But actually, they do have quite a big effect. You know, those goddamn clouds, they <laughs> mess the whole, the whole modeling. Basically, the, the concern is that the climate sensitivity that has been relatively unchanged since 1980 is much worse than, than scientists assumed. So they used to think it's three degrees Celsius and it's actually now five degrees Celsius is a climate sensitivity. And so then, you know how we were all aware of this one and a half degree warming that everybody was trying to keep it at one and a half degrees. Well, this new revelation might mean that we have no chance of actually landing on one and a half degrees uh, Celsius at all. And the best we could aim for is two degrees, which of course, if you remember, was 
pretty dramatic difference between the one and a half and the two. It includes all sorts of catastrophic climatic events and extinction of species and uh, fires and more of the what what's, what's already going on. So there are a couple of caveats to this news, um, I guess, or th- this uh, modification in, in the models. This is still being tested. And so far, unfortunately, it seems to be showing that, that, that this five degrees of sensitivity is the right one, the more, more realistic sensitivity. However, it doesn't explain the historic data. And so we're still going to be watching this space to see how they can sort of reconcile these two things. We'll see what, where it leads. But unfortunately, no good news here. Mm. Yeah, uh, just a quick comment on uh, the role of clouds. It's not that the role of clouds was not taken into account in previous uh, models. It's that it's really difficult to quantify the effect of clouds. So we we've known for a long, long time that clouds reflect heat radiation back to the Earth, and this is how greenhouse effect is generated. So it's not only carbon dioxide that traps in the heat, but also clouds, because water vapor is greenhouse gas as well. So this is what's happening. But now they they refined the role of the clouds in the models. So this is this is what happens. So mm-hmm. it's just, just a little more detail that uh, they could they could work with and this is how important it became so a little change in the role of clouds so they seem to have underestimated the role of clouds and and this is what we have to deal with and clouds are not only formed by the overall extra water vapor that is being trapped in the system but also things like uh, airplanes so when you see the contrails, or the chemtrails. Obviously, it's not contrails; it's chemtrails. <laughs> but when when you see the contrails, they become clouds after a while. And the and the other thing that they had to take into account is that the clouds are situated in in several different layers. So they build up uh, sometimes three or four layers of clouds can be built up, and that changes how the heat is trapped in. So yeah. All right. A different topic again. Uh, Andras, you, you asked us last week about national traumas in the past. And I brought up the murder in uh, 1986. Olaf Palme. Olaf Palme, our prime minister okay. at the time. Mm-hmm. So, I, And I also said last week that they were going to wrap up the investigation. And I said in a couple of weeks. Well, it turns out I wasn't up to date. And in fact, there was a press <laughs> conference already last Friday. Well, there you go. Uh, just the day after we published uh, the episode. And the reason for bringing this is up is, of course, that a murder of a public fig- figure like that, especially if they can't solve the crime, it creates a lot of conspiracy theories. And um, uh, this is the case now. They have closed the investigation without any satisfying results. So the investigation has been going on for 34 years And what they said in their final report now was that everything points to one person called Stig Engström, who uh, was on location, that has been known all along, and he was interviewed as a witness. But somehow he never got suspected, uh, uh, or the investigation never really looked into his role there, partly due to incompetence at the time, that is what they are saying now, by the police, or and also with misunderstandings and a poorly performed interviews. In one case, one witness was shown this guy's photo, 
being told by the investigating police that this photo shows this guy with the same clothes that he wore at the night of the murder. And then the witness said, well, it can't be him because uh, that's not the same kind of coat that I saw on, on, that, on the person I'm talking about. And then the police concluded there has to be another person on, on the scene. And they spent a lot of time trying to, to find out who that could have been when, in fact, they had uh, confused the photos. So the photo they showed that person did not show Stig Engstrom in the clothes that he wore on the night he was taken at another time. So quite a mess, I, I think. And so, okay, so they point to this guy. So why don't they just arrest him and put him in jail then? Or put him on trial? But the problem is he died in 2000, in the year 2000. So we will never know. And uh, the police are basically saying, well, we've investigated everything else. Uh, it must be him because we can't find any other solution. <laughs> very unsatisfactory. Oh, that's so lame. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's very, very lame. Uh, and uh, there was a poll done uh, with the public just uh, the days after. And only 19% of the public now believes that this guy did it. Everybody else is, well, we don't know. And that's... The, we don't know because they could never prove it, and they, and they never found the the. Well, they did find a couple of guns, but for some reason the bullets that they did retrieve are in such bad condition that they say they can't match it to towards any gun. Bloody hell! Yeah. You know, and they say this whole modern forensic. Yeah, it should be like on TV, what? right? Where they just what's uh, what's with modern forensics? Well, it's all supposed to be like at the top of the range, and yeah. you can, you know, match. I don't know, like um, yeah, but you can only work with it if you this, have the details. So, but, but, like, but what about like the metals and the thing and the <laughs> no? But on the TV know. shows, it's always they. It's it's miraculous. They can find yeah, a little so of, of course, piece of something, of and then they suddenly yeah. solve everything. But that, but if you don't, CSI if you do, Miami, it's all spoiled it for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you do not have the the evidence, then you not you cannot work with anything. So no, you're empty-handed. Apparently, but they apparently, had bullets. <laughs> they yeah. just were mangled. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but apparently, then yeah. then uh, the 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 police investigation is worth almost as much as an opinion poll. <laughs> so anyway, I'm Which sure there will funny. be even more conspiracy theories about this murder oh, yeah. now in the, in the future. And, and there's been a lot of speculations in the past with uh, a lot involving foreign powers of different kinds. Russians. The, well, and the US and uh, the Kurds from, from Turkey. All of that has been investigated and investigated and the police has never been able to find any such conspiracy Mm. But I'm sure there will be lots and lots of new uh, theories coming up now. There, there was, I, I forgot to mention, there was a trial actually in the 90s against um, more or less a homeless alcoholic dude. <laughs> but he was acquitted in the second instance and it was always very strange. It, to me, of course, seeing it from afar, he, he was a very unlikely suspect. But uh, the, the investigation spent... I think five, six, seven years looking into this particular guy, and then they said, "Well, no, probably not him." <laughs> so, <laughs> big, big failure on the Swedish police here. Hey, 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 hey! Well, yeah. Okay, talking about our national failures. <laughs> just one of those usual rants about how things are done under Viktor Orbán's rule here in my little country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
uh, Pontius, you keep poking the Pope. I should probably start outspokenly opposing Orban or something. Um, <laughs> anyhow, he's a lucky bastard, now posing as a grand hero who saved his country from COVID-19 while the rotten West is struggling. But we were lucky, to be honest. We, we seem to have had very few entry points. An effective lockdown right at the beginning of the crisis happened. So few cases, high case fatality rate, though. Uh, but never mind. But our economy is in ruins. And even though Orban's pr- bad projects still get the, the, the usual funding, he started massively defunding city councils to save up for rebuilding the economy. And while he's had the absolute power on a national level, something that we've talked about here on the show as well, his government gave similarly centralized, although massively restricted rights to mayors across the country, including the power to decide on budget cuts by decree. So they didn't have to discuss it with their city councils. Now, it so happened that one of the few opposition members of the council of my hometown, Sekashvahirvar, had managed, after two years of fighting for it, to get a pass on an amendment on the city's budget that would make non-essential vaccines available for children under the age of six free of charge in the city. What vaccines am I talking about? Chickenpox, hepatitis A, meningococcus and viral encephalitis. So these are pretty useful and important vaccinations, especially with young children who are going outside. There are lots of places where you can go and get like a tick bite and uh, yeah. viral encephalitis can be, you can, you can be exposed to viral encephalitis through that, for example. It would have accounted for 0.05% of the overall budget of the city, and it was included when the pandemic hit the country. So it, it was included already in the budget. Now that Orban started taking away money from the city councils, even taking more of the local taxes than usual, among the first things that went was this little extra vaccination campaign. Mm-hmm. Not the autumn f- uh, music festival that costs twice as much. Not the annual student parliament that is basically a recruiting platform for the government uh, governing party and... God knows why it costs more than a citywide vaccination program. And there are many others like those. Unnecessary and unimportant items were capped in the budget while this was scrapped, the, the vaccination, the new vaccination program. And whether the reason that it didn't make the revised budget is out of political rivalry, incompetence or anything else, I don't really care. But when she contacted me, this um, local representative, with this, I was furious. And I lashed it all out on you and our listeners. Sorry about that. And <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. But uh, I just wanted to get it out of my, off my chest because it's, uh, I think it's ridiculous that uh, something like this gets cut while completely unimportant things stay in. Yeah. Boo. Yeah, well, that will backfire big time when all these um, diseases come back again. Yeah, I have to admit that these are considered non-essential vaccinations for a reason. We have vaccination for a lot of things that are compulsory and they are covered by the the state. But these are non-essential and this is why there is no financial help given to the parents regarding these vaccines. So uh, this was a good step forward. And the moment that uh, difficulties started to emerge with finance, they just got rid of it. Yeah. All right. 
So the Aspen Institute has issued a magazine called Good 10, uh, the pandemic issue. It is all about pandemic. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, I guess the, the name speaks for itself. No, but yeah. so what, what's so good about this this issue of the magazine? We will link it in um, our descriptions and you can actually read it all online, free. It talks about all, all things kind of related to pandemic, uh, how different countries coping with misinformation. And I will mention a couple of European countries because we've been following them. We all know the impact. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what people are saying. The issue talks about the biggest challenges for the COVID-19 vaccine and then what the future looks like and how the COVID-19 will might change the medicine of the future. I want to bring up a couple of countries that we've been talking about and following and that were probably at the front of everybody's mind. And I'll start with Italy, because, of course, Italy was affected the most at the beginning of this whole and guess who was providing this information about Italy in this magazine? It's Massimo Polidoro, who we know mm-hmm. very well. He's oh. an executive director, Comitato Italiano per il Control delle Affermazioni Superanormale. <laughs> also known as Cheekup. Cheekup is easier to say. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said che- <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Well uh, 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 Italian Committee for the Investigation for of effort. Claims of Paranormal. That's right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> His little take on the lessons learned was the fact that as he, the conspiracy kind of theories spread in Italy, he said that he, I, I quote, I found myself, as many other science popularizers here in Italy did, with an urge to share with those following us on social media, analysis, critical thinking skills, and tools to overcome the craze and better understanding what was happening. End quote. So basically, he's been very, very active on social media, been building this relationship with a population who was growing more and more concerned, and actually a population that craved good information and expert opinions. And what he's, he observed, which was very, very interesting and very um, heartwarming and also a positive thing, that they formed a sort of bond and trust between the audience and the science communicators and the experts. And so this pandemic became some sort of a catalyst in forming this and it'll carry on even after the pandemic at least in Italy anyways so he sees a lot of good that came out of it which is great I think it's a good lesson the other country I want to mention that made it to the magazine is Portugal and it's an organization we talk about a lot it's Comtept and it's Joao Lorenzo Monteria Monteira yes close enough yep <laughs> who, who we met <laughs> At the QED conference years ago. Anyway, so the concept uh, organization who are super active in a skeptic scene of Portugal, uh, they also did their best to try to educate and engage with the public via various digital social networks. And then I'll quote from what uh, is being said. In the weeks before the lockdown, we organized public meeting, same style as skeptics in the pub about the new coronavirus. The speaker was the president of a medical association, presented to the public the best data available at the moment regarding the COVID-19. During the lockdown, we used social media to promote reliable information about the disease, shared official data from the government, asked the public to participate in online academic studies and debunk conspiracy theories, end quote. So again, another very active organization that took this opportunity to 
to engage with the public uh, any uh, way possible. And they also got really, really positive uh, response on that. Uh, the last organization I, I thought I'll just mention, there's so many great lessons learned in this very, very, very trying times. Mm-hmm. And I will encourage everybody to read this magazine. It's um, There's not many page, pages, actually, and it's packed uh, with good information. But anyway, the last organization I want to mention that made it here is from Czech Republic, Claire Klingenberg, mm-hmm. president of European Council of Skeptical Organization. Yay! And she said that it is not a secret in the world of science communications that for many, accepting the fact has little to do with facts themselves. This quiet truth has been brought out into the spotlight even more so now during the pandemic. Many of us received the lesson that we must communicate with the human first before we try to communicate the science to them, end quote. So that's a very good quote that Claire's making. And we've been talking about this also in the past and continue because often... For people, it is not about the facts. It's about the way information makes them feel. And we should be able to mm-hmm. be better at hitting the feelings side of things, mm, as well right. as communicating good that's information. Yeah, I'm glad about uh, this uh, pandemic issue and that so many of our friends uh, collaborated because... Uh, I don't know if you're aware that, but the Aspen Institute uh, was going to throw an international conference in Rome. I think it was scheduled for May this year. Mm. And Claire, Massimo were all scheduled to speak. I think uh, even Amardeo Sarma from GVUP. Right. And uh, our friend Susan Gerbic was scheduled to speak there as well. And it didn't happen. So it's quite a shame, but uh, this pandemic issue does a little bit of uh, damage control, so to speak. Um, But I have to say, the Aspen Institute, oh my God, this is a a research, it's an international think tank, but it's the most reliable source of evidence to the deep government. Imagine, uh, because... (laughs) It is funded by the Carnegie Corporation, the Rockefeller, <laughs> Rockefeller Fund, the Gates Foundation, the, lizard uh, the Ford people. Foundation. So it's all the lizard people that <laughs> that, that finance this these efforts. But uh, this is why we love them so much. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> because right. we are, we are, yeah. Yeah. We also, yeah, we also funded by lizard people. We are also lizard people, actually. Of mm. course, of course, uh, we are lizard people. That, yeah, that's that's why we hide behind a podcast so you can't really see us. Yes, yes, yes. To hide that we are on the payroll of the of these institutes, yep. which we are not, unfortunately. But we would be willing to. So just <laughs> if someone out there listening to this, <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, uh, I have to mention a little short nonsense story that's almost too stupid to bring up on the show, but I had to do it because it's a little I like bit it fun. already, Pontus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rem- you remember in 2012 how the world was going to end because of a Mayan calendar? Didn't it? Uh, no, well, maybe it did end and it was replaced with something totally different that we just don't know yeah. about. Anyway, yeah. it was also involving some sort of... Uh, a, uh, a the, the unknown planet called Nibiru, mm-hmm. or whatever it was. And it was supposed to come out of nowhere and uh, hit the Earth and we would all be dead, all because of the calendar ran out. Uh, I think the reason the calendar ran out was that the Mayans didn't... They had to stop somewhere, right? They didn't... I mean, you don't... I'm not spending my time doing a calendar for the year 4000. <laughs> I keep with things that are relevant. Anyway... But the, the theory is back. The world is going to end. 
some idiot, for some reason labeled a scientist, decided to totally misunderstand things yet again. And he <laughs> tweeted that actually this year, 2020, is the real 2012. So now it's going to happen. And it's all because of a confusion between the Julian and Gregorian calendars. When the Julian calendar got out of sync, it had shifted 11 days. That That's correct. So 11... <laughs> Yeah, but listen to this. The 11 days were sort of lost when you moved over to the Gregorian calendar. And this was done in 1752 in most countries. There were exceptions. But listen now to this mental train wreck. Since this was 268 years ago, if you take 268 times 11, that equals Uh about eight years. So according to the Julian calendar, it should now be... (gasps) 2012. <laughs> it's, it's rock solid. It's rock solid, this argument. It's just different. So, so yes. do we have the actual date? Do we have the date or just uh, well, the year? We could probably find out, but let, let's not do that because it's so stupid. Because, there, I mean, let's say <laughs> well, what he got right. What he got right was, yes, there was 11 days that were so-called lost in, in one year in, in, in 1758. They just skipped a few days to get in sync. But that was a one-time deal. It's not like the Julian calendar was off by 11 days every year. Every year, yeah. <laughs> that, that, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so no need but to multiply you know, by eight. Well, what do I know? But I, I, more than this guy, apparently. And, <laughs> and, and also, why the hell would the Mayans have used the Julian calendar? Actually, the no. Mayans didn't care about neither the <laughs> Julian or the Gregorian calendar. So it's all, as I said, almost too stupid to mention. But still, this guy tweeted about it. And yes, it made the news. Well, we anyway. just wait. We'll, well, I guess, wait and see, right? There's no limit to people's stupidity. Ah, uh, anyhow. Yep. Let, let me finish the, the round of news on something very, very positive. You, you may remember that back in 2018, we reported that the University of Vienna had removed their homeopathy optional module from their curriculum after several complaints from medical students that the university was promoting pseudoscience. Yeah. And getting rid of it... Yes. Uh, getting rid of it, in my opinion, was quite an important step. Something that I am still waiting to happen here in Hungary with Samovice University and the traditional Chinese medicine <laughs> unit. Mm. But the University of Vienna didn't stop there. Starting in the summer semester of 2019, they launched a new optional module called Complementary Medicine, Esotericism and Evidence. And if we praise them for what they did in 2018, I want to say how much I admire them for starting this new model. It was an opportunity for students to do a critical analysis of certain healing methods, including homeopathy and TCM, and their findings have been published in a special edition of Vienna Clinical Weekly. Harald Zikte, pharmacologist and lecturer who who runs this model, says it's important for medical students to be aware of so-called alternative medicinal practices because out in the wild, so to speak, they will surely encounter a few of them as doctors. So his approach is they need to confront them now while they're at medical school and be ready to evaluate the evidence while recognize patterns of esotericism and pure business purposes in the system. Over the course of the semester, students taking this model familiarize themselves with phytotherapy, Ayurvedic medicine, orthomolecular medicine, 
manual therapy, traditional Chinese medicine, homeopathy, complementary cancer therapies, vaccination skepticism, placebo and nocebo effects. And they also conducted a survey about the prevalence of scam and found that, and I quote, public skepticism about vaccination and belief in homeopathy often go hand in hand and are particularly prevalent among the better educated classes, end quote. And that was done by students, led by Professor Harald Zitte. So I really like to congratulate both him and his students. This is the way to go. So they basically put a course in skepticism on the program. That's great. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Focusing on traditional scam, medicine yeah. or, or, or scam. Yeah. Yeah. They, learn, they learn about these dubious practices. That is one advantage. They will be ready to dis- discuss them with patients when the time comes and learn a lot about science along the way. Yeah, It's simply brilliant. Actually, I'd love to nominate Zita for a really right price if, if I could. <laughs> Yes, agreed. uh, I I, I concur. (laughs) But uh, I think on that positive note, we should be moving forward to hearing who has been really wrong lately. Remember how at last Northern Ireland joined the 21st century and legalized abortions? And how the problem was now finally corrected and women will not have resort to dangerous underground quacks or traveling to Mm -hmm. the UK, etc. And and we celebrated this here on the show. And it wasn't very long ago. In fact, the new regulations came in effect on 31st of March. So it's just happened, really, less than three months ago. Uh, It was 50 years overdue, at least. But uh, finally, (laughs) the issue was fixed. Except it is not. What do you mean? A leading reproductive rights group called Alliance for Choice in Northern Ireland is reporting that members of healthcare in Northern Ireland, midwives, nurses and fucking doctors are refusing to assist in abortions. Because of their stubborn medieval backwards way, they are apparently not it's not just that they are refusing to actively perform these procedures which are now every woman's right by law. Some doctors are even refusing to refer them to another clinic. A lady called Naomi Connor, spokesperson for the Alliance, says that in one case a woman was first not just not helped by one doctor, she went then to another doctor in the same clinic, uh, she wanted a second opinion, and she was told, quote, no one else will help you unless you're keeping your pregnancy. And if you are, we will provide you with folic acid and pregnancy support, but otherwise we won't help you, end quote. Fuck that. But th- that is it must, unlawful. It must be, must be. It's not clear how many doctors we're talking about, if it's a few doctors or hospitals, but it seems to be widespread because it includes also nurses and midwives and stuff. In November, (sighs) before the law had changed, uh, one doctor, and it was probably not the same doctor that I just quoted, one doctor called uh, Dr. Andrew Couples posted a, a blog post stating that he would, he for one would never comply with the new rules. A fucking GP said that. Uh, I mean, him and all like him should lose their licenses or, or go to jail or both. And, yeah. you know, if it's if you don't want to do your fucking job, 
then that's fine. But then you have to look around for something else to do. You can flip burgers or be a plumber. I don't care. But don't pretend to be a bloody doctor. So uh, this is <laughs> apparently a big problem. And I hope they get that fixed uh, ASAP, as I say. <sighs> yeah. So... Two, all scumbag, stupid, misogynistic excuses for medical quacks in Northern Ireland who won't do their fucking job. A big, fat, really wrong price for oppressing women and breaking the bloody law. A law that should have been implemented ages ago. Mm. So this is yeah. why we have an explicit tag on our show. So I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I apologize a little bit for all the F-bombs, but I got so mad when I heard about this. Well said, Pontus. <laughs> Thank you very much. And that basically concludes the show. But before we go, as usual, we need a nice quote. Yalana, have you got one for us? I have a quote from Erich Seligman from from who was from Germany. <laughs> from um, Germany. <laughs> He, he was a social psychologist, a psychoanalyst, a sociologist, humanistic philosopher, and democratic socialist. Um, anyway, he said the following. So please forgive me because I actually did Google Translate. I don't, I don't often do that, but I think it did a really good job. Okay. <laughs> he said, okay. critical, <laughs> critical thinking is the only weapon and the only defense that the human being has against the danger of life because if i do not think critically i will be subject to all influences to all suggestions to all errors and to all the lies that are spread and with which i have been indoctrinated since childhood mm. the end so um and that's a good one i yeah. think and it's like i said google translate did an amazing job i i'm i'm actually still kind of like not even because I remember translating stuff on Google Translate from for something else between Russian and English, and it would just do the most appalling job. And I kept thinking to myself, what if anybody is using it as a thing? <laughs> and now we're improved. all using it, it as a thing. over time, yeah. Mm. Yes. So, and I also want to finish the show by uh, announcing that it will be my last show. And that was my last quote. Oh. Um, on this show as a co-host of this great podcast and I do want to say that I really enjoyed my time here with you guys and I wanted to thank all our listeners for their support and the feedback sticking to us for however many years it's been already almost four I think more than four more than four oh yes mm. it's four. getting close to five time flies <laughs> when you have fun right yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I want to wish you all the very, very best um, to continue promoting science and skepticism and critical thinking. Wow. Just like this from dude said. Yeah. And th thank you very much, uh, Jelena, for sticking with us. For yeah. I mean, I know it's been hard doing it over the time zones and all the way from uh, Seattle and, and stuff. And uh, it is it's it's hard work isn't it Andras? <laughs> doing this show every <laughs> yes, week it is, so it doing is, yeah. it for such a long time is really a big thing and it's, it's an effort and we thank you so much and uh, now of course we don't know what to do without you but uh, uh, it was good of you to be with us for so long yeah, I'd like to join Pontus in thanking you for uh, <laughs> being with us, adding so much to this this experience and uh, and the show. Uh, I'm pretty sure that our listeners will m miss you 
a great deal as well. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really sad that you're going. But whatever you're, you will be up to, I'm hoping that we will keep in touch and uh, you will probably listen to the show occasionally at least <laughs> and uh <laughs> Let, let's have you back as a guest host yes. once in a while yes that's <laughs> sure. that's i that's like why a good not idea. Uh, so you know i don't want to go all cliche when one door closes another opens the opportunities the possibilities but you know it's all right. There is yeah, always... when when God closes a door, he opens a window somewhere, isn't it? How how it goes? No. Oh, it's. Uh, I think it's from the Sound of Music. Never mind. <laughs> Any she anyhow, you will be greatly missed, and um, and thank you very much for more than four and a half years of of working together. Jeez, I can't believe it's been that long. That's amazing. Yeah, it's coming up to five. Yeah. <laughs> We started in in November 2015. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it ridiculous? Oh my god. Well, you know, I I wish you guys success. Um I mean, I don't think we you know, we ne- we're never going to be as big as Joe Rogan podcast who just sold his uh podcast to um Spotify for like 100 and or 200 million bucks and you're like, "What?" Well, <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe I'm I'm actually undersell- yeah. underselling that figure. Anyways, there are ways, you know. But uh, do promise that you will keep safe. Don't do anything <laughs> stupid. <laughs> don't, you know me, don't I never go, do anything stupid. <laughs> don't go looking for trouble out on the streets, <laughs> please. You take care of yourself, okay? Uh, thank you, I will do. You do too, guys. Uh, look after yourselves. After each other and after your loved ones. And mm. uh, take it easy. All right. All right. Okay. Well, the last so, one last uh, time. Paka paka. <laughs> <laughs> so right. let yeah yeah let me do the round first. Uh, so I'd like to thank you again, Yelena and Pontus, for joining me today. We're coming back next week with Pontus. Unfortunately, not with Yelena. But I'd like to thank our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. Don't leave us because Yelena is leaving us. And until next week, goodbye. Paka paka. Hello. Vislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time. But until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rob and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Be father of modern epidemiology. Epidemi- epidemiology.
Okay. Epidemiology. Do you want to say it again? Yeah. Yes. He's considered to be a father of modern epidemiology. So, okay. So, Andrush, am I going to be next? Yes, you are. Ah. Sorry, I, I just uh, mix it up because Did I you? want to finish okay. on, a, on a positive note instead of a, a rant. Ah, okay. I got you. All right. Yeah. Yeah, a long-distance relationship is a long-distance yeah. relationship doesn't work. Oh, my God. It's not you, it's me. <laughs> Silly girl. The end.